Good morning, Crosswalk. Man, we're excited that you're here today. And we hope that worship was just amazing. We hope that life is, is in, in Christ is just transformational for you today. And we hope, that, we hope that things have not only been going well in your life, but that you are feeling blessed even if they don't go well. You know, think about that. We have a tendency to think that we're blessed when things are going really well. And when things aren't going well, we're not blessed. But you know, the truth is sometimes God blesses even in the midst of trials and tribulations. I hope you're not going through any today. Um, It is my prayer that you're not. But chances are somebody who's listening to this today is going through something that's just really tough. And I am just hoping that you can look for the blessing in that tough thing that you're going through. Because it's there. Because God has a way of making sure he uses the trials and the tribulations in our lives for his glory. So that's what my hope is for you today. And if you're new here, my name is Pastor Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor of Crosswalk Church. I'm housed in Redlands, California. But if you're watching us somewhere else, thanks for being here. We hope it's been a good experience for you so far Today, this week, we are talking about witness because that's the series that we are in. We're talking about witness. The first week, we talk about what it meant to be a broken witness. When a broken person experiences the revelation of God and what they do, how they react, how they respond. So that was the first week. The second week, we talked about a joyful witness. And I hope that you had a joyful week because of that. But today, we are talking about witnesses that are often ignored. And our model will be women that we find in scripture because oftentimes their witness is ignored. But let's ask a good question as we begin. Why would we ignore witness? Why do you think you might not take someone's witness to Jesus seriously? What intrinsic bias might you have to stop you from listening to the witness of someone in your life? Stop you from listening to that particular witness. There's lots of reasons why we don't, right? Race could be one of them. Class could be one of them. Gender, education, the way someone is dressed, the accent that they have. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to not listen to somebody's witness. And some of these intrinsic biases that we carry with us, that we started with, that we didn't even know somehow were bred into us, come and we hold other people in, it's not always contempt, right? Sometimes it's just exception. Well, I'm gonna take what you say with a grain of salt because you come from here or you do this or you look like that or act like this. I mean, the truth is when someone's witnessing to God, we should listen, even if it's not an experience that we understand or can make sense of. Of course, we use discernment because there are people who are willing to use a witness of God in a bad way or, or lie about the witness that they have. I remember I was, uh, I was teaching at this particular school and I had been asked in the curriculum to use this very particular video. And this video was made in the 1980s. So you can imagine what it's like, you know, a video of a video that was made in the 1980s. It's all, you know, not even pixelated. That's not the right word. It was just wonky. And we're watching this. I, I, I watched it. I wasn't a fan 
I felt like it was something that we probably shouldn't use. I had been asked specifically to use it. I thought, okay, well, it's their curriculum. I'm teaching it. I'll see what I can do. And we started to watch it and it was outlandish. The witness that this person was talking about was outlandish. In fact, I'll tell you what it was. This was a person who said that when she was a teenager, she had died. And the next hour and a half was her explaining what heaven was like, right? It was one of those heaven experiences. And we're watching this and I'm uncomfortable with it because some of the stuff just didn't make sense. It didn't really line up. And as I'm sitting there, one of my wonderful students jumps on Google like they often like to do and debunked this person. And she hands me her phone and she's like, should we really be watching this? And it was absolutely true. This thing had been debunked 25 years ago because it was such an old video. And in the 90s, it had been completely debunked. I can't do the math on that, however long ago it was. And, um, you know, so sometimes people do use their witness in nefarious ways, but we do have to ask ourselves the question, why, what intrinsic bias might we have that would preclude us from listening to a particular witness? And in the time of Jesus, probably the most powerful example of this is that women fell into the category of often ignored. And it's so good that that's no longer the case. This is where you insert a little bit of a laugh, a little bit of a tragic laugh, and understand that we belong to an organization that still has trouble listening to women, that still has trouble treating them as first-class citizens. Because in reality, they were second-class citizens especially around religious people. But what I love is the fact that Jesus never treated women like second-class citizens, ever. The manner of Jesus was just different. And we see examples of that in scripture before we get to our particular story. How about John 4? right? When he's talking to the woman at the well and, and when the disciples come back, just then his disciples come back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had a nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The manner of Jesus was just different. Jesus included when culture excluded. Women were excluded from synagogue worship, forbidden to enter the temple beyond the court of women, it was called. They were not to touch the scriptures although they defy them. So they couldn't even touch the scriptures. Man was not to talk to a woman by and large. Even his wife, he would not talk to her very often at that time. Other examples, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman, sinful woman. The woman with the issue of blood that Jesus healed, touching her. Martha being in her home and having a conversation with her. Mary, his mother. Where women were excluded, ignored, and marginalized in the first century, Jesus included. He listened. Today's scripture is a good example of what we've been talking about. It's a story we all know, but we're going to take a look at it again. We start in John chapter 20. We're going to jump over to, I believe it's the book of Luke, and then we'll jump back into John. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can read from whatever you'd like to read from or just look on the screen to what is called the digital Bible, or I think 
Pastor Andy from here in Redlands called it the Sky Bible. So if you're looking at that, you can look there as well. So we're talking about now, we're talking about the resurrection in John 20. Early on Sunday morning, Jesus had died on Friday night. He had been laid in the tomb. He had been there on Saturday night. They didn't go back there on Saturday night, but on Sunday morning, while it was still dark. And I've always loved this story because it shows that they didn't even wait for the sun to come up to go and take care of the body of Jesus. But who went to go and take care of the body of Jesus? It wasn't the men. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, this is important. It's important. Remember, we're reading from John, which is not one of the synoptics, but we're going to go over to Luke, which is one of the synoptics. So in the synoptics, we see that there's more than one woman that was there. Um, at least at this part of the story in the story of Luke, which I, like I said, we're going to get to in a second. But have you ever been so excited to do something, even to do something hard that you didn't want to wait to get started? This is how I feel like it was. They were there. They were going there to prepare the body. Right, And when she gets there, she realizes that the stone had been rolled away. And this could be a, different, a difficult situation, right? Who stole the body of Jesus? So rather than go inside and put herself in harm's way at the moment, she decided that she need to, needed to run and go tell the disciples and her crew. Now, this speaks to an absolute truth about women. They are way smarter than men. Right? This is why women live longer than men. And you can go to the internet, you can go to YouTube and you can just search up women live longer than men and you will find ridiculous amounts of videos of men doing the dumbest things on the planet. She took a moment, had a little wisdom, decided that she should run back. And so she runs back, finds Simon Peter and the other disciples, the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, which is of course, John, who's writing this book. All the other disciples were now gone. They didn't even, they weren't alive anymore. So he could kind of write whatever he wanted to. So rather than saying, um, Simon, Peter and myself, he says, Simon, Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, which is me, which is, you know, he's definitely taking the narrative voice to its, you know, it's logical conclusion, a little selfishly. But she said, listen, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. She went to find them, but she didn't go to, find, she didn't go to, go to them for validation. She went to them because she wanted to bring them into the story. She was reporting to them. Now, this is important. And, and guys, I, I want you to hear this because it took me a long time to understand this. When I first got married... My wife would come to me. She was working in, in this situation and I was in school. And at the end of the day, my wife would come to me and tell me what would happen. And I would immediately begin to fix that problem for her, whether it was with a coworker or a boss or whatever. I'd say, well, what you should do is this and what you should do is that. This went on for quite a while. She would always get kind of quiet when I would do that. And I, I just figured she didn't want to talk about it anymore. She didn't like my advice, which I thought was great because, you know, it came from me and I thought, you know, everything came out of my mouth was probably, probably worth listening to. I mean, I was a pastor. I mean, I wasn't yet a pastor. I was still in graduate school. I hadn't pastored anything. I had no wisdom, but I thought it, it should be listened to. Regardless, after about six months of this, I say one night when we're eating and she says to me, this is what happened. And I said, you should do this. And she said, do you think I'm stupid? And I was not prepared for that question. I absolutely do not think and have never thought she is stupid. So the question caught me off guard. She said, do you think I'm stupid? I said, no. And she said, why are you always trying to fix what I'm telling you? And I said, what are you 
talking about? I'm not trying to, I thought you were asking me for help. And she's like, no, I'm asking, I'm telling you this so that you'll understand where I'm coming from. I'm not asking you for validation. I'm not asking you for help. I can handle this. I'm a very smart person, which is absolutely true. It was shocking to me to recognize that she was not coming to me for validation. She was not coming to me for help. Now that's one of the differences I think between men and women at times. Men have a tendency to share when they want each other's opinion. Women have a tendency to share. And I know I'm grossly generalizing, so I apologize. But at times they have a tendency to share so that there's commonality and there's growth and relationship and intimacy. We need to understand that. Because if we don't understand that, we're constantly either talking over each other or talking past each other or missing each other completely. Now, at this point in the story, we're going to move to the Lucan account right? To fill the story out a bit. So this is what happened. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. Luke tells this story with more detail. And these are the women that are running back to tell everyone else what was happening, right? So the, the 11 disciples are there, but they're not just running to tell them. They're telling everyone in this community at this point, which by the way, this community was full of anxiety and why wouldn't they be? Their savior had just been murdered and now they can't find him anymore. And so we say who the women are in Luke. It was Mary Magdalene. It was Joanna, the, Mary, the mother of James and several other women who had told the apostles what happened. Now we could spend some time here like unpacking every person that is there, but we won't. The truth is they were doing some of the few things they were allowed to do to honor Jesus. That's why they went, right? They could prepare the body. So these women who were, who were ignored often decided they would be the first ones to go care for his body on Sunday morning. He wasn't there. They run back. And this is what the Lucan account says. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. Why nonsense? Could it be because of the source of the information made it nonsense? I can't tell you how many times in my life I have heard this. Well, women are emotional, so you can't always take what they say. And, and, this is coming from people who, who wouldn't call themselves misogynists, wouldn't call themselves sexist in any manner. But they say, you know, that's, that's, we got to be careful with that. Now, scripture doesn't say that it was that. In fact, later on, there's commentators that say the reason why they couldn't do it is because they couldn't fathom the joy of Jesus being alive. I think it was probably this, probably a combination of, you know, social norms and not understanding what these women were saying. Um, and also, I think it could have been a denial of hope. Could they dare to hope that what was being said was true? Because it would be devastating to hope and have those hopes stashed. But as the story goes, we realize that Peter wanted hope. Short of believing them, he decided to go down to the tomb, right? However, Peter jumped up, ran to the tomb to take a look. Stooping, he peered in and he saw the empty linen wrappings, wrappings. And then he went home again, wondering what had happened. He's not all that curious, really. He turned around, not knowing what had happened and not really ready to do a deep dive, at least in the Lucan account. Now we're jumping back to John's story. So stay with me. This is how John finishes it. Peter and the other disciple, John, the one whom Jesus loved, started out for the tomb. So they take off. Not because they believed the woman necessarily, maybe because they didn't. They were both running, but the other disciple 
outran Peter and reached the tomb first. There was no way to verify this story because at this point, Peter wasn't alive anymore. So he got to write whatever he wanted to. The disciple that Jesus loved, John, the guy who wrote this book says, and by the way, I beat him to the tomb. This is a completely irrelevant fact that we don't need to know, but this is humanity reminding people that I'm part of this too. And that I might've been a little bit faster than Peter because I've written in this book a lot about Peter, but it's important that you know that when we ran to the tomb, I got there first. And it's sort of on brand for John. I'm not gonna lie. Just making sure that they know he ran the, he won the foot race, which wasn't a race, but he did win it anyway. However, Next says, he stooped in and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And you have to stoop to look in the tomb, right? Because I don't know those, the, the, the illustrations that you saw of, the, of the, the wheel or of the stone and the tomb. Chances are it wasn't 12 feet tall. That would have been almost impossible to move. Chances are it would have been about this tall. So you would have to stoop to get into the tomb. I've never seen a tomb in... Um, all of my experience with archaeology that had a vastly high or large stone. I mean, they were big, they were heavy, but this large stone is pretty heavy still. One that's 10 feet tall, maybe doesn't make sense because I remember there was an illustration, there was a storybook that we had that had one that was that big. So when I got to the garden tomb in Jerusalem the first time, I thought, oh, that's really sad. That's not a very good tomb, but that's really probably what it was. Anyway, a little bit, a little bit too many facts there. Then Simon Peter arrived late, obviously, and went inside. See, John didn't go inside, but he went inside and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus's head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, he's not gonna let it go. Come on, John. He's not gonna let it go. Went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, now I think it's interesting. He, he got it verified, but he didn't believe the women. Now, he, now, he, now he's gonna believe. But until then, he hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. So now he's beginning to put the pieces together. Didn't happen when the women told him, they were ignored. Um, he's finally putting the pieces together. John, maybe not the quickest. Have you ever watched a movie or a television show with somebody who figures out the plot really quickly and then says it too quickly? <laughs> well, I think this is, they think this is what, I think this is what happened because then they have this very particular thing. It says, then they went home. This is important because the men saw it and went home because they just assumed they understood everything, right? But the women didn't, they stayed, they lingered. The men thought they had figured it out and they didn't need any more information, but the women lingered because they were committed to Jesus, not in a different way, but they expressed it differently. Maybe they were curious in different ways than the men were. Maybe they were, well, it says it here in John 20, verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and she wept. She stooped and she looked in. See, she understood the implications of him not being there, that he's gone. Of course, it's hard to think about the resurrection. But see, she allowed herself to feel. And for so long, emotions have been weaponized against women. 
right? But understanding her loss, she was willing to emote. What courage is that? She was willing to incarnate the loss that she experienced, not seeing Jesus, not having Jesus. That's, that's a powerful witness and important. And we need to not forget that. Continuing on, John 20, 12, she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Now it's about to get interesting, right? What is she about to experience? Honestly, it's something the men couldn't bother to, be, to, to wait around for. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. And she says, because they've taken my Lord and we don't know where they've put him. We've got a job to do. We wanna, she's expressing the loss and she's being quite honest, really, regardless of the cost of it. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus did all this all the time after the res- resurrection, right? People would see him and not recognize him at first. Maybe it was because it was out of context. Maybe he looked a bit differently. But he says to her, dear woman, why are you crying? Now, this is an experience that the men didn't get because they weren't willing to wait. They weren't willing to experience loss, to emote that loss, to feel that loss, to stay, to linger. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. <laughs> Sir, she said, you've taken him away. If you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. That's how committed she was. We didn't see the, the male disciples doing this. Only the female disciples. Mary, Jesus says. And she turned to him and recognized him and she cried out, Rabboni, which of course is teacher. It's the great reveal, right? Jesus is like, hey, here. And by the way, why did Jesus do this to a woman first and not the men that would have been taken more seriously at that time? Why not to Simon Peter? Why not Perhaps it was because Jesus was trying to teach us something. Maybe he was trying to teach us that we need to listen to the witness of someone that we have an intrinsic bias against. Maybe that we need to listen to the witness of a woman who was willing to linger, who was willing to stay, and who was willing to see Jesus the first time. Perhaps it's because Jesus was trying to teach us something and this truth that they were trying to teach us would have been a hard truth in the first century. Maybe he was trying to teach us that a woman's witness of the revealing of God is just as important as a man's. Religion has very often diminished the role of women And here we see Jesus willing to reveal himself first to a woman. And then you know what? He doesn't just do that. He actually gives her a job. He says, listen, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the father. But you, you who've seen me, you who've recognized me, you who are willing to wait, you who are willing to cry at my absence and find joy in my presence, I want you to go find my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and to your God. 
You know what Jesus did here? Jesus made her, in that moment, the most powerful evangelist in the world. And what he says to her is essentially this. Your witness is good enough for me. So certainly it should have been good enough for the disciples. And certainly it should be good enough for us in its entirety, in its totality. We should be willing to listen to the witness of someone that we might be intrinsically biased against a little bit. And for us in the church for a lot of years, it has been women and we need to get over that because Jesus did. So Mary Magdalene finds, found the disciples and told them, listen, I've seen the Lord. I've seen him. And then she gave them his message. But she started with, this is true. This is, I saw him, he was just down the road. You couldn't be bothered, you couldn't wait, you took off. But I've seen Jesus and this is what he told me to tell you. Man, she was, <laughs> I'll say it again. She was the most powerful evangelist the world had ever seen at that point because she had witnessed the revealing of the risen Christ before they did. And I just wonder if Jesus didn't do this, do this particularly so that we would learn how to listen to people that we don't listen to as much. And she was brazen. She didn't stop. She went and she told. And they heard her finally. So I'm going to ask the question that I asked at the beginning. What intrinsic bias might you have that would preclude you from listening to a particular witness? In scripture, we see this interplay between Jesus's inclusion of women. But who is it in your life that you have excluded because they're not like you, because they have a lower place in society, because you, will, you have some bias that you, were, that you were born with or was bred into you? I think we have to deal with this reality or we're never gonna be a whole people of God. Whether it's women, whether it's someone of a different race, whether it's someone who's coming from a different place than you are. The moment we hold people as less than us is the moment we stop listening to them. And the moment we stop listening to them is the moment that we may miss the revealing of God through them because we are unwilling to hear it, because we stop being curious about what their experience with God is, or we stop allowing them to have some sort of, of, of impact in our life and wisdom in our life and, and narrative that speaks into our life. The moment that we do that, we are cutting off the way that God speaks to us because we are unwilling to listen to them. What intrinsic bias might you have that would preclude you from listening to someone? And I don't know about you, but I don't want to cut off the constant stream of God speaking into my life. So the way this works out in my life is I listen to a lot of different things. I read a lot of different things and I see God in a lot of those things. And you know what? It's not all Christian. It's, 
it's sometimes I, I, I get an incredible revealing of God from an atheist author. Yeah, it happens. And I know you might be saying, oh, that's a little dangerous. Listen, you, you, you've, you've got this thing called discernment, right? You may not agree with everyone if you're listening to someone from a different faith tradition or somebody who comes from no faith at all, but can't you see that God can work through those things? That God can work beyond just you and your faith tradition and your pastor and he can speak broader than that? He can work beyond just me? He has to. This is what I want you to take today. I want you to understand that we should not be the one to diminish God's voice in someone else just because we have an issue with that person. And we also have to understand, I want you to take this home too, that God uses a lot more people than you think he can to tell you who he is, to reveal to you his goodness and his grace. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, um, I'm so grateful for the women that have spoken incredible truth into my life. So thank you for lifting them up all those many years ago. Lord, where we have taken a while to figure that out, I just want to apologize. And Lord, I ask that you continue to grow your voice through people that I may have bias against. But at the same time, I'm going to need you to open my ears. I'm going to need you to open the ears of those who are struggling with that kind of thing. It's important that you do that for us, Lord, because we sometimes can't do it ourselves. We're grateful for you, but I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful that you choose to speak to the world through a lot broader ways than me. Lord, thank you. And may we never ignore a witness to you. In your name I pray.